Podcastle, episode 354, for March 11th, 2015. The Sea of Wives, by Nathaniel Lee. Rated R. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Kitty Nikian, and you'll be hearing more from me very soon. This episode, we have a deliciously creepy sea tale, a dark exploration of Irish myth. The author says of his tale, I'm not sure if what the protagonist of my story gets is justice, or what he deserves, which may not be the same thing, but I know damned well that almost no one in the real world gets it. Podcastle is very proud to present The Sea of Wives, a Podcastle original story written by Nathaniel Lee. His writing has appeared in dozens of venues, online and off, including Beneath the Ceaseless Skies, Daily Science Fiction, and previously here on Podcastle. You can find a bibliography and his intermittent microfiction at www.mirrorshards.org, or follow him on Twitter at Scattercat. The Sea of Wives is narrated by our own Graham Dunlump. Enjoy the story, and remember, sometimes meaning well only makes it worse. The Sea of Wives by Nathaniel Lee The seas are full of wives and our nets strain to hold them. The Grayling is the largest of the fleet and our catch the greatest. The wives are the source of our great wealth. When the wives are pulled up in the steely silver nets, they're poured in a shimmering stream onto the deck. Vickers and Brune work the crane and they sit up high in the control booths, rocking and swaying with the motion of the ship. I couldn't do that job. I'm a knife man. I cut the skins away and put them in the holding tanks, wives in one and skins in the other. It's very important that the skins be kept separate. It's a simple rhythm once the catch is coming in. The wives are disoriented, confused, sometimes dead. It's a long haul up from the deeps and some of them drown or smother on the way in. I throw the dead ones overboard, skin and all. The skins are no good once they're dead. The ones that stay alive I slit open. One stroke along the belly. Two strokes at the forelimbs, two strokes at the rear. There's a trick to shucking the skin then and more than once I've seen a new knife man get it wrong in the unfamiliar wet and the noise of a ship at sea. They're squalling and crying then, and the whole mess has to go to feed the sharks. I try to slit their throats first to be merciful. You can tell right away who's not fit to be a knife man by the way they handle a ruined skin. After the skin is off, the wife goes into the recessed mesh cage with the others, all fresh and pink. And you can also tell who's not fit to be a knife man by the way they handle the wife tank how long they linger and how they grip their knives. The skin goes into the brine tank to keep fresh until we get to shore where it can be processed. A good quality fresh wife skin is useful. You can chop and grind and soak them all sorts of ways, get lots of different products out of it. Cosmetics and elastics and food additives, it's wizardry almost the things they can do in the factories. They know just how much skin you have to leave to keep a wife functional, and they almost never mess up. The Grayling is my father's boat, and while I won't pretend that didn't earn me my first post on it, I work as hard as any man on it, and harder than most. 
When we're at sea, I never see him anyway. I'm a good knife man, and I can work the cranes or the pilot box at need. I don't malinger at the mesh cage, and I don't take more than my fair share of the haul. Most knife men only work for a season or two, just enough to earn a wife of their own. Sometimes they come back, if they've worn out the one or lost her due to foolishness. Because of my seniority, I oversee most of the knife men at their training and their work, and I don't tolerate sloppy work. My father taught me that. A ship at sea is chaos and a leash at the best of times. It doesn't pay to borrow trouble by adding carelessness or bravado into the mix. They call me boss to my face and that asshole when they think I can't hear. I have a wife. Every knife man earns a wife sooner or later. And if I have little enough use for her, well, she is my fair share and I won't be cheated. My wife is small and dark. She was a runt, too small even by the relaxed standards we've taken to using in these latter days, when the catches shrink and the wives are smaller and sicklier every year. She'd have smothered or been tossed to the sharks if I hadn't claimed her, bled to bind her, and taken her skin. Sometimes I think I saved her. But other times I think about what would have happened if I'd tried to claim a prime catch, a blonde wife perhaps, nearly six feet and voluptuous. I can't be certain. I'm better than she'd have gotten otherwise anyway, and I don't overreach myself. I take what I earn and I don't complain. I wear her fur beneath my jacket, next to my skin. They say the seas are dying, that the wives run thin. Our little port is the far end of an empire, and news travels slow in the ice in the dark. But there are whispers that it's not just the sea wives that are in decline. They say it's a plague, kin to the one that burned through the towns all down the coast five seasons past. They say the new shipping lanes with the mighty icebreaker ships and their flame-worked hulls have turned the wives aside, that they gather in new and secret harbours that we've yet to find or map. They say the Ingoldi, jealous of our incursion into their cosmetics markets, for the Ingoldi are glamour workers and they breed pixies in great hives to grind for their powders, worked some terrible spell of ill luck upon our ships. They say we've hunted too long and too deep, and there are no more wives to be had. This last I fear the most, for we must sail longer and dip our nets deeper every season to fill our hold, and if it is true, then there will be no answer until the seas are empty of wives. But for now the nets are full of wives, and of wailing, and my knife is sharp and ready. There's nothing I could do even if I would, for I'm only the knife man of the grailing, and the ocean is bigger than I can ever know. When I return to my cabin at the end of the day, there to catch a few hours of sleep before it's back of the nets, and the deck slick with red-tinged sea foam, my wife is waiting there for me. It is the advantage of a sea wife that they can handle life on a ship, in fact can barely ever leave one, for to walk on the shore pains them sharper the further they go from the sea. Most of the knife men share hammocks in the main bunk room, but since almost by definition they do not have wives, this poses little difficulty. 
My wife does not speak to greet me, for I have obeyed her speech before this trip, as much for her sake as for me. The men grow restive when she talks to them, and I know by now that she cannot resist the temptation for conversation that I cannot fulfil. I am taciturn, by habit now if not by nature. She offers me a mug of hot broth and kneels beside me while I drink. I smile and nod to let her know it's good and that she has done well. Neither of us is discomforted by the rock and sway of the boat as the seas grow choppy under a grey sky. I take her swiftly and quietly, an imposition she tolerates as patiently as ever. The nighttime knife crew was at work when I came to the cabin. I will leave before dawn to start the first knife crew on their duties. Once she wept in the night and again when we parted. I do not know if she still would. I forbade her that too. My sleep tonight is interrupted by a terrible cracking sound that makes the whole ship shudder. I'm outside before I've fully woken, shouting the alarm for all I'm worth. I arrive on the deck in my pantaloons, shirtless and barefoot. The ship is listing badly, and I stumble, nearly losing a toe on a loose knife that skitters past. I grab for a rope and hold myself, hanging almost perpendicular to the deck. Beneath my toes, the black gulf of water yawns deep, and I see no flicker of a wife's silver fur or lambent eyes within it. The wave strikes us with a shock like an earthquake, cold as a fish's heart and thick as stew. I hear the muffled gurgling screams from the mesh cage, where the new wives are unused to breathing with human lungs. The water will drain away from them once the ship is righted. Despite the dark and the first spatters of rain, the shouts and the hurly-burly of men rushing here and there, my practised eyes see at once what has happened. Bron was working his third straight shift when I left. He and Vikos like to have long periods of rest with their own wives in their cabins, and my father has never felt the need to interfere with their preferred schedules so long as the work is done. We had words about this once, but it is not my place to argue. Bron does not rest. He gambles and drinks with the off-crews, swallows glamour wine to keep awake, ruts his wife for hours. A man can only work for so long without sleep. Normally we continue to fish in high water. Our cranes are technological marvels and our operators peerless in skill. There is a risk, however, and Brown was too sleep-fogged to react when the water turned against him. The crane is a twisted mangle, the dipping claw submerged and caught by the currents. The ocean is stronger than man's works. Half of the rivets have already pulled loose from the deck, but the others are wedged in tighter. If nothing is done, it will pull us all down, and ship, crew and cargo will drown together. With a flash, the rain begins in earnest. If I were not already soaked to the skin, I would be so now. I see my father on the foredeck roaring command. The line of men is already forming, but slowly, reluctantly. I go to join them, add my own voice to the orders. We haul on the line, make it fast, move to the next. There is a pattern to follow, for use only in emergencies, one we've never used before. It will sever the crane completely, let it fall away and leave us to float on the surface. I see Braun clinging to the inside of the operator's booth. His eyes are wide and white in the night against the dark water. He almost looks like a wife himself. 
The final line, under too much attention, snaps beneath us. A half dozen men are sent flying, and I as well. At least one is killed instantly. The line cuts my arm, mangles my hand. I feel nothing, but when I open my eyes, I'm lying on the deck, wedged against the lip of the mesh cage. My arm, hanging down, is running with rivulets of blood, so hot it burns my chilled skin. The wives watch it drip with silent eyes. Their mouths are closed. I see their nakedness and feel ashamed. Behind me there is a groan and another crack, as if our boat were in the sky and hurling lightning and thunder. The crane is gone, not cleanly, but gone. The rain seems to calm as the ship rocks upright, able now to face the waves and ride them as she should. The wives have clustered beneath me, moaning and weeping for a taste of my blood. I pull in my arm. Three fingers gone, a fourth half severed. I'm lucky. I hear a man cry out as I fall. Cold hands grasp at me and I picture the ice-carved faces of the wives and their hidden teeth. They put me in my cabin, of course, and that is my undoing. I left without my shirt and my wife awake and alone. I return unconscious, my arm a mess of blood. Blood to seal a bargain. Blood to call my name. The blood is the part that men with new wives find strangest. You can tell who'll make a good knife band by the way they deal with blood. I wake in the night suddenly. I know exactly where I am and I know how much time has passed. My arm is no longer numb with cold and I feel the renewed flow of blood as it drips onto the floor. The boat creaks and shudders around me. She will limp home, perhaps, and be repaired to sail the seas again and pull up nets full of wives. I know I will not be there to see that day. My wife stands over me. There was not much of her skin left by the time it came to be my coat, and small though she is, she cannot fit it, not completely. Her eyes are onyx, her whiskers like steel wire, and her needle teeth bared in a snarl. Her arms are uncovered and so still human. She has a skinning knife in her hand. I close my eyes and wonder if she will use the blade or the bite. Her hand touches my bare chest, and it is so cool and gentle I could almost imagine she has come to lie with me before she returns to the sea. Then comes the burning pressure of the knife blade. It draws a line down my chest and belly, a fine and clean cut. She has watched me and been practicing. A line at the shoulders, another at the hips. She manages the shucking skillfully. She would make a good knife man. I'm surprised to find that my fur is pale, almost red. My wife slips my skin around her neck and ties a knot. She leaves, and I follow. That is how it works. At the deck railing, two few men remain to man a watch. She slips her tail on and dives. I'm awkward on the deck, a mere falling lump in the air but the water is not nearly so cold as I remember it from when I was a man. I can smell the fuel and blood in the water, 
and I am no longer sure that the grayling will make it home. I follow my wife into the stormy seas, diving down to the quiet dark. Soon enough another ship will come with nets and knives, and if I am not skilful and lucky, I will be caught. I can't be certain, but I take what I earn, and I don't complain. Sometimes I think she saved me. And welcome back. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Feedback this week is for Other Worlds Than These, the December Flash Fiction episode. This episode generated a bit of musing on the nature of escapism and quotes from C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Listener Unblinking is a big fan of Portal Worlds, so this episode was a home run for him. Thank you for these comments. Come let us know what you think of the story at forum.escapeartist.net. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our podcast going so we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. If you can't donate, please tell your friends about us. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Graham Dunlop, Arun Jiwa, Sarah Goldman, Peter Wood, Dave Thompson, Anna Schwind, Don Phoenix, and Kitty Kian, thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another story. Until then, this is Kitty Nikian for Podcastle, reminding you to please don't bother the seals, for they are well-trained and heavily armed. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Why so they-